It is Memorial Day weekend. Obviously, the theme is one of remembrance, and so it would be fitting for us to turn to an Old Testament book, the book of Deuteronomy, and the entire theme of the book of Deuteronomy is that of remembrance. I want you to look with me in Deuteronomy 6, if you will. I'll begin reading in verse number 10, but let me just say this as a context to what we're going to read. There is a, um, a background to this story here, and I think this is fitting. What, what we're about to read, the warning here, is fitting to any family, it's fitting to any church, it's fitting to any business, any nation where younger generations are reaping the rewards of the sacrifices of future generations. The, the danger is that the younger generations that come along and they reap the benefits, they harvest in fields that they did not sow in, they wind up becoming entitled, expect that they deserve those things, that those things are owed to them. Uh, when they didn't pay the price for them, and yet they reap the reward. And this is what's happening. There's a generation about to enter into the promised land, and the fear is they're going to go reap in fields they didn't sow, live in houses they didn't build, drink water from cisterns and wells they didn't dig. And the concern of the prophet here is that they are going to wind up forgetting God and who provided all of this, and they wind up becoming thinking they deserve it, and they did it. And I think this warning is true for any of us, who stand on the shoulders of other people, whether it's nationally, in our family, in a church. Deuteronomy 6.10 says this, And when the Lord your God brings you into the land that he swore to your fathers, to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob, to give you with great and good cities that you did not build, and houses full of good things that you did not fill, cisterns that you did not dig, and vineyards and olive trees that you did not plant, and when you eat and are full, then take care lest you forget the Lord who brought you out of the land of Egypt and out of the house of slavery. Pay special attention to the phrase in verse 12, take care lest you forget the Lord. And that's what we're going to do today is take care lest we forget. Far too many people today look at Memorial Day as this incredibly long weekend. They really don't know what the weekend is about for sure. They get Labor Day and Memorial Day kind of mixed up. All they know is they're just excited that they get Monday off. Memorial Day began in the years immediately following the Civil War. But up until World War II, most people referred to it as Decoration Day. It was the day that the graves of fallen soldiers were decorated with flowers and flags. It was a time to remember those who had given what President Lincoln beautifully said. He, they gave the last full measure of devotion to defend our nation. It was a day to remember the honored dead and what they had died to defend. It's been 154 years since General Lee surrendered to General Grant at Appomattox, Virginia, effectively ending America's Civil War, a nightmare that put 625,000 American soldiers in their graves. And since then, there have been other international nightmares in Europe, North Africa, the Pacific Rim, Asia, and the Middle East that have ravaged the world and put another 650,000 plus American soldiers into war graves. 
Memorial Day weekend is an important national moment because it signifies something far greater than long weekends, Mondays off, and barbecues. We would be wise to remember the great price that so many have paid to preserve the historically unprecedented civil and religious freedoms that we now possess, freedoms that far too many of us take for granted on a day-to-day basis. The remembering that goes on on Memorial Day is more about our future than it is about our past because it's crucial that we remember the nightmares of what has happened in the past. If we forget them, we are bound to recreate the tragedies of the past. The future of our nation is, 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 is dependent upon how well we collectively remember the nightmares of tyranny and cherish the freedom that liberty brings our way. There is a high cost to any people who forget the faithfulness of God and the tragedies of the past. The Spanish writer and poet and philosopher George Santayana famously said, those who cannot remember the past are condemned to repeat it. And Christians of all people should understand the crucial importance of remembrance. God has called us to be a memorial people because the whole of our faith depends on our commitment to remember. Those who cross the finish line of faith, that in this race well and experience the promised and preferred future that is to those who believe in Christ, Those who cross that line of faith are going to be the ones who are intentional about remembering the grace of God in their past, the goodness of God in their past. That's why God has surrounded us with memorials. You can't read the Old Testament without seeing every event, every significant day. God asked them to establish a memorial so that future generations could remember. When it was God's deliverance from Egypt, they took the Ark of the Covenant and they put three key pieces in the Ark of the Covenant, the budded rod of Aaron, manna from the ground, a tablet from the Ten Commandments. Those were going to be perpetual reminders to future generations. It's the Ark of the Testimony. It is a memorial of God's deliverance, His power, His hand. When Joshua, another generation, crossed the Red Sea, God told them to take stones out of the bed of the river, set them up on the other side of the river so that when future generations come by, it would be a memorial to the delivering power of God. For those that didn't live through that, it was a testimony of his power to it. God has called us to be a memorial people. Our copy of the Bible is a memorial to us. We read it. We meditate on it. We daily remember the promises and the warnings of God by meditating on the scripture. It is a memorial to us. The Sabbath, honoring the Sabbath is a memorial to us. Matter of fact, God established the Sabbath as an opportunity for Israel who had been delivered from Egypt to pause and reflect on God's delivering power and their freedom from slavery. This is what it says in Deuteronomy 5.15. Remember that you were slaves in Egypt and that the Lord your God brought you out of there with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm. Therefore, the Lord your God has commanded you to observe the Sabbath. He established it as a memorial for them to reflect on the faithfulness of God that brought them freedom. Now, the Jews celebrated, they did and they still do, celebrate the Sabbath on a Saturday. 
But the early church, Christian church fathers, switched the Sabbath from a Saturday to a Sunday in order to be a memorial to the resurrection of Jesus Christ. So regardless of the day you choose to honor the Sabbath, we have people that come to church here on Saturday night. Regardless of the day you choose to honor the Sabbath, when you honor it, you, you are remembering the mighty hand and the outstretched arm of a God who has delivered you. The Sabbath is a moment to look back, memorialize, remember the faithfulness of God. When you read the Old Testament, you can't help but see memorials. Matter of fact, the feast and the festivals were established in the Old Testament. Significant days, significant events. God told them to establish a feast so that future generations would remember. The Feast of Unleavened Bread, the Feast of Pentecost. There are multiple feasts and meals that are memorials, commemorations of God's faithfulness. So now, every time as New Testament believers that we come together to celebrate every celebration of the Lord's Supper, every celebration of baptism, every Christmas celebration, every Easter celebration, they all serve as memorials to the faithfulness of God. Remembering God's past grace is necessary to fuel our faith for God's future grace in our lives. The future of the church And the vitality of our individual spiritual lives depend largely on how well we remember both the promises of God and the warnings of God in Scripture. So as we pause today as Americans in a national sense to commemorate Memorial Day, let us do it with a profound sense of gratitude for the extraordinary gift that has been given to us by the sacrifice of men and women who have laid down their lives for the sake of America's survival. And let us remember the past evils that they never be repeated in our future. And as we approach this weekend from a Christian perspective, may we commit to make every day a memorial day to take care, as we said in the beginning, to take care lest we forget the Lord, Deuteronomy 6.12. The Apostle Paul encouraged his young protege, Timothy. He was concerned about this very same thing. And he was calling his young protege, Timothy, to not forget. You've got to remember, if you're going to be successful as a leader, if you're going to lead people into the riches of the faith, you must remember Jesus Christ. He said in verse 8 of Timothy, 2 Timothy 2, remember Jesus Christ risen from the dead, the offspring of David as preached in my gospel. Timothy, don't forget. And then remember what Jesus himself said when he established the Lord's Supper. He said, and you've seen it etched in the communion tables in churches that a lot of us grew up in, that wooden box says, do this in remembrance of me. It was a statement that Jesus made when he established the communion. 1 Corinthians eleven twenty four. Do this in remembrance of me. It is important that we stop to reflect and remember. There is no greater all-encompassing memorial of the Christian faith than coming to the Lord's table. And while today is Memorial Day, and I've made a few remarks about the national um, perspective about this day, I want us to finish the conversation today by focusing on the greatest, most all-encompassing memorial of the Christian faith, and that is coming to the Lord's table. When you came in the door today, you should have received or had access to receive the elements of communion. If you didn't, don't worry. At the end of the service, I'm going to have a team that will walk up and down the aisles to serve those of you who desire to participate and partake in the communion moment, but we are going to build to that, and I want you to have an understanding of it, maybe different than what you've ever had 
even if you're a seasoned follower of Jesus Christ. Here's how Paul explains it. 1 Corinthians eleven twenty three. For I pass on to you what I received from the Lord himself. So this was Jesus' idea. On the night when he was betrayed, the Lord Jesus took some bread. He gave thanks to God for it. Then he broke it into pieces and said, This is my body which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, he took the cup of wine after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant between God and his people, an agreement confirmed with my blood. Do this in remembrance of me as often as you drink it. For every time you eat this bread and drink this cup, you're announcing the Lord's death until he comes again. I think it would be safe to assume this morning that there are people that will come through the doors of North Place Church this weekend that have taken the Lord's Supper hundreds of times during their faith journey. And here's the danger. The danger is that we've done it so many times, the familiarity with the practice can rob us of the depth of meaning and the sacredness in the experience of coming to the Lord's table. Most of us know that the Lord's Supper focuses on two key elements, the bread and the cup. The bread is a symbol of the broken body, the cup is a symbol of the shed blood. And as Christians, we recognize that the body of Jesus nailed to the cross and the blood of Jesus shed on the cross through his body, through his blood, we are forgiven of our sins, we are reconciled to God, we are adopted into his family and can now call him Father. 1 John 3, 1 says, see how very much our Father loves us for he calls us his children and that is what we are only because of the sacrifice of Jesus, the broken body and the shed blood. The Lord's table is a memorial that Jesus established, and every time we come to the table, it causes us to reflect on and remember the deep sacrifice Jesus made for us, and it calls on us to look at the undeserved grace that has been bestowed upon our lives. But I'm afraid our remembrance is cheapened because we don't fully understand what it means to remember. In English, when we use the word remember, we're simply meaning to bring something back to mind. For example, we say, I lost my cell phone. And, and oh, oh, I remember. I, I put it in my, my gym bag about three days ago. In other words, I forgot, and so I bring it back to mind. That's what we call remembering. I, I forgot my, where my keys were. I lost the remote, but I remember them. I, I remember where I placed them. I bring it back to mind. For us, to remember something is just bringing something back to mind. But when Jesus says, do this in remembrance of me, he is meaning so much more than just bringing a historical event to the forefront of our mind. And in order to understand the depth of what it means to remember, let's look at some opposites for a moment. And I don't want you to let me lose you in this vocabulary lesson, because if you can understand the vocabulary by looking at some of the opposites, I think you will come to the Lord's table in a fresh new way today. The opposite of forget is mindful, not remember. If I were to ask you today what the opposite of forget was, you would say to remember. But literally, technically, it's not. The opposite of forget is to be mindful of something. When you forget a person, a place, a thing, an idea, a thought, or memory, something that had, had occupied your cognitive field and it no longer does, you're forgetting. 
But when you become mindful of that person, place, thing, idea, thought, or memory again, it returns to your cognitive field. We say we're forgetting and remembering, but remember is the wrong word. We're forgetting and becoming mindful of it again. Now, we use the word remember because we don't want to say, I forgot where the remote is, and now I'm mindful of where the remote is. It just doesn't sound right. But technically, remember is the wrong word. Because look at this. The opposite of the word remember is to dismember. It means to take something apart piece by piece. You can dismember countries. You can dismember organizations. You can dismember human bodies. Matter of fact, the word member traditionally in literature and in vocabulary has referred to a part of the human body. Think about Paul's writing when he talked about Christ being the head and the church being the body and we all make up the body of Christ. Some of us are fingers, members of the body, toes, members of the body. Some of us are hands, members of the body. If one of us hurt, all of us hurt. We need to operate in unity as members of one body of which Christ is the head. When he said member, he wasn't talking about a voting member of a democratic organization. He was talking about a piece of the body. So when something is remembered, it is put back together. When it is dismembered, it is taken apart. So to dismember something means to take it apart piece by piece. So what does remember really mean? It doesn't just mean to bring to mind. Yes, obviously in our culture it can mean that. But it also can mean to graft or to fuse together, to take something that is not a part of your being naturally and make it a part of who you are. Now with that in mind, listen to 2 Corinthians 5.21. Paul says this, For our sake, he, God, made him, Christ, to be sin, who knew no sin, so that in him, in Christ, we might become the righteousness of God. Not appear to be, but actually by nature become the righteousness of God. Our nature as human beings is naturally sinful. God's nature is naturally righteous. But Jesus descended into the human condition and he took on our nature so that we would have the opportunity to take on God's nature. So every time I come to the table and I take the bread and I take the cup, I am remembering, not just thinking about historical facts, but we are taking something that is not naturally a part of our nature and our being, God's nature, his divine righteous nature, and we are making it as a part of who we are. At the table, when we come to the Lord's table, God grafts and fuses his nature into ours. He is remembering us. It's also at his table that he puts us back together again. On Easter weekend, we launched a series called Beautifully Broken, and we talked about how Our lives are like puzzles, and there are certain pieces of our life that have gone missing. We had our hearts shattered. We've had our lives broken, and sometimes those pieces are missing because people stole them. Our spiritual enemy robbed us of them. For some of us, we traded them away with our own poor choices, but for whatever reason, we're not whole. There are missing pieces of our life. We have broken hearts that are longing to be put back together again. And when we come to the Lord's table in obedience to his command to do this in remembrance of him, this is where he remembers us. This is where he puts the pieces of our shattered hearts back together again, piece by piece. It's also the place where he reunites 
His body, we are the church. North Place is just one fleshing out of the Lord's church. There's a fleshing out of the Lord's church anywhere that calls Jesus Lord. Here in Dallas and around the world, we are just one manifestation of the Lord's church. But as the global church, we are often referred to as the body of Christ. But racial and social and theological and political and economic things separate us. They divide us. But when we come to the Lord's table, it is at this table that brothers and sisters from every kindred, tongue, tribe, and nation come together as one body, one family of faith to gather, to declare collectively that Jesus Christ is the Lord of our lives. When we come together in this way as the body, declaring that Jesus Christ is Lord, he remembers us. He unifies his body regardless of where they come from under his lordship. There's a supernatural remembering that happens at the Lord's table, the grafting of God's nature into ours, the putting together the broken pieces of our lives again, the reuniting of his divided church And this can't happen anywhere else like it can happen at the Lord's table. You don't get that kind of supernatural remembering merely from listening to a sermon or doing your daily devotion or singing along to Christian radio. This kind of remembering only happens among the body when you're receiving communion together. If you came to church this morning and you were anxious about something, the kids, school, money, jobs, an illness... Or maybe you came to church this morning feeling condemned, absolutely crushed, because you're failing to honor Christ with your life, you're failing in your marriage as a husband or a wife, or you're failing as a parent, or you're gripped with guilt because of this continual sin that keeps getting the best of you. If you've come to church this morning feeling either anxious or condemned, do you know what you need to do? You need to come to his table. You need to take the bread And you need to take the cup in remembrance, bring to your mind of his gracious work for you. And in the process, let him remember, remember you. And as you come to this place of remembrance, bringing his work to the front of your cognitive field, and you look back on those historical facts, let it remind you that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor demons, nor things present or in the future, or powers of height or depth or anything else in all of creation, according to the Apostle Paul, can separate you from the love of Jesus Christ found in our Lord. And if you feel condemned, Bring to your mind the grace that is available to you because his grace is greater than all of your sin. Come to the table in remembrance of him and let him remember you. Let him put you back together. Now, while the Lord's table is full of incredible promises, it does possess a warning. We frame this whole conversation today from Deuteronomy 6.12, take care lest you forget the Lord. We need to make sure we don't forget the warning as it relates to the Lord's table. And here it is, verse 27 of 1 Corinthians 11. So anyone who eats this bread and drinks this cup of the Lord unworthily is guilty of sinning against the body and the blood of the Lord. That is why you should examine yourself before eating the bread and drinking the cup. For if you eat the bread or drink the cup without honoring the body of Christ, you're eating and drinking God's judgment upon yourself. 
Dynamite is a powerful tool that can be used for good. I've seen it blast mountains and they build highways and I've seen it blast mountains and they put homes and neighborhoods on the cliffs simply because of dynamite's power to build. But obviously if you handle dynamite the wrong way, it can be destructive, it can harm you. Paul said the power that is housed in the sacredness of the Lord's Supper is a lot like dynamite. When his table is approached correctly, it has the power to build up. The Holy Spirit can use the repeated approaches by coming to the Lord's table in a Christian's life to blast the mountains of sin and corruption out of our hearts. But if we don't recognize the power of the Lord's table, if we take it for granted, it can wind up bringing distance between us and God. That's why you will always hear me fence in the communion moment when I offer it. You will hear me. If you've been a part of North Place, you've heard me say this dozens and dozens of times. We're going to receive communion today, and we practice an open communion here, which means you don't have to be a member of our church. Some churches don't let you take communion in their church unless you're a member. That's not the way we do it here. We open it up to anybody who confesses Jesus Christ as Lord, who is a professing and practicing follower of Jesus Christ. We want you to join us as a part of the body and partaking. But if you are not a follower of Jesus Christ, when these things come by, let them pass you by. Why would I say that? Because when people don't recognize the power of the Lord's Supper, when you don't believe in the realities to which they point, and you approach the table with the wrong attitude, you will bring distance between you and God. Paul says, bring judgment on yourself. You'll wind up doing more spiritual harm than good. Or maybe you're a Christ follower today, and inside you, you're eaten up with bitterness and unforgiveness and jealousy and resentment or there's some life-controlling sin that has its tentacles in your life. Paul has a warning to us as well. Search yourself. Examine yourself before you take the bread and you take the cup in an unworthy manner. And I know some of you are saying, well, pastor, does that mean that we have to be perfect before we can approach the Lord's table? That all of our relationships have to be in order and our life has to be totally sinless before we can come to the Lord's table? Absolutely not. If that was the case, none of us would ever partake of the body and the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. The necessary prerequisite to taking the Lord's Supper isn't perfection. It's repentance. You you don't have to be perfect. You just have to humbly look within yourself. Paul says, search yourself. Look inside. Examine yourself and see if there's things in your life that are out of line with the heart of God. And if there are, bring those things into repentance. Bring them humbly before God before you take the body and the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. I heard the story of an older pastor who was serving communion one Sunday to his church. It was a smaller church. Everybody knew the pastor. The pastor knew everybody. It was a building where he had a good eye line on everybody and he was praying over the communion that morning And he noticed as they were passing it out, um, there was a young lady about his granddaughter's age seated near the front. She was weeping, and and you could tell in such a way that nobody would know. And when they had brass trays, they were passing, and when the brass tray came to her, she didn't take it, and she passed it on. The pastor knew she had been a a long-term believer, follower of Jesus Christ. And so when someone else took over to end the service, For the communion moment, he grabbed the communion that was on the platform and he went straight to her seat and knelt down in front of her. And he said this, take this, honey, eat it. It's for sinners. You don't have to be perfect, just repentant. 
And if you'll take whatever it is that caused you to pass this by this morning and you will call it out to Jesus, you will name it, you will confess it. His grace and his blood will cover it and that will make you worthy. And then, not by your own merit, but by his grace, you can come before his table in a worthy manner. Perfection is not the prerequisite. Brokenness, humility, and repentance is. One last thing before we take together today. A few moments ago, I made a statement about Memorial Day that as a nation, Memorial Day, this sacred moment as a nation, has as much to do with our future as it does our past. Because if we don't remember the tragedies and failures of the past, we are bound to repeat them. We're doomed if we forget. And in the same way, remembering fuels our spiritual lives. I said this a moment ago, remembering God's past grace is necessary to fuel our faith for God's future grace in our lives. And there is a future grace associated with coming to the Lord's table. And it's found in verse 26. Listen to this, 1 Corinthians eleven twenty-six. For every time you eat this bread and you drink this cup, you're announcing the Lord's death until he comes again. That's the future grace. Until he comes again. So every time I take this cup, yes, I am bringing to the forefront of my mind his suffering, his death, his burial, his resurrection, and what it means to me, the broken body and the shed blood of Jesus Christ. There is this emphasis on the past, grace, that fuels my life in the present. But every time I'm doing it, I am showing the Lord's death until he comes again. There is something about this moment that points me into the future until he comes again. And it is pointing me to what is known as the marriage supper of the Lamb. There is a meal, a feast, that is referred to in the book of Revelation known as the marriage supper of the Lamb. And it is basically a wedding reception where the bride, the church, is reunited with the groom, Jesus Christ. And at the end of that reunion, there's going to be a wedding celebration known as the marriage supper of the Lamb. Today, I will preside over the communion moment. But on that day, Jesus will be at the head of the table and it's not gonna be some plastic cup with juice in it. It's gonna be a golden goblet and the Lord the Lord of lords and the King of kings is gonna stand there once and for all at the final meal. But until that moment, until that moment when we take the cup, every time we come together, this is just a type or a shadow that should point us with anticipation towards the moment that will be fulfilled when Jesus Christ holds up the cup at the marriage supper of the Lamb. I don't know how they're going to fit all the blood-washed throng of the redeemed in that room, but there are going to be millions upon millions upon millions of people. I'm going to be sharing a meal with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob and Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and my grandfather, and those who have gone on before us. This moment is just a type or shadow that causes me to anticipate that marriage supper of the Lamb. There's this future grace to communion. Tim Keller says that when we come to the Lord's table, it is just the hors d'oeuvres that whet our appetite for the main course. Revelation 19.9, blessed are those who were invited to the marriage supper of the Lamb. I'm not a big reader of fiction. I, I read a lot of nonfiction. I just don't read a lot of fiction. But I am intrigued by C.S. Lewis and uh, J.R.R. Tolkien. I haven't read their, I mean, I've read their books, but from a different perspective, not for entertainment. I'm intrigued by 
um, the theology of those two men. They were contemporaries. They met together often, gifted writers who were both Christian men. I'm intrigued by how their theology made its way into their fiction. And now that I understand who these men were, what they believed about scripture, and then I go back and read their fiction, I realize this is not at all fiction, really. It's a theological story told with fictional characters, and and there's some richness and depth to it rather than just the story of lions and all those kinds of things. J.R.R. Tolkien's last book in the Lord of the Rings trilogy, The Return of the King, has a character in it known as Pippin the Hobbit, and at the end of it, there is a battle at the Siege of Gondor, The battle is going horribly wrong. The forces of the Dark Lord are closing in. And Pippin is sure that everything is about to be lost. But out of nowhere, he hears a horn blast in the distance. I don't know if all that's sounding familiar to you, but... Out of the distance, he hears a horn blast in the distance. And it happens to be the riders of Rohan. And they charge into battle, and even though they suffer horrendous casualties, they drive back the armies of evil. And Pippin and the entire city are saved. And as you read the book, it's not really highlighted in any of the movies, but if you read the book for the rest of his life, Pippin would never be able to hear a horn off in the distance without breaking into tears. Why? Because the horn was the physical reminder of his salvation. When he heard the horn, he relived the moment of his salvation. It connected him to the past. It brought to mind the sacrifices of the people who had died to save him. And it didn't matter what kind of mood he was in. It didn't really matter how grumpy he was. He could not maintain that disposition when he heard the horn because it reminded him that every single moment for the rest of his life was a gift of grace. Church. The Lord's Supper is the blast of a horn in the distance. It's something you can taste and something you can see, something that you can smell and touch that connects you to your salvation. And there is power in this sacred moment to change your life, not just for eternity, but for right now. Because it is in this moment, God infuses your present with the knowledge that every single second you now live is the gift of grace in your life. We come, we take, we eat, we do this in remembrance of him. And this is where he remembers us. He infuses a nature in us that is not naturally ours. He grafts it into us. He remembers us. He puts us back together again. He remembers us. He he reunites his divided body for whatever reason. He unifies us, one faith, one Lord, one baptism. When we take this cup, he remembers us. I'm going to ask Pastor Jason and Danny if they would to come and help me for just a moment. There's a particular song I'm going to ask them to sing today, and it connects with a specific moment of Scripture. Most of you know the story in the Bible where there are... uh, Three crosses, Jesus in the middle and two criminals on either side. And One of the criminals is arrogant. He looks over at Jesus and says to him, if you're really who you are, why don't you save yourself and us while you're at it? The other criminal was humble, broken, repentant. He said this in Luke 23, 40, but 
The other criminal protested. He's protesting to the arrogant criminal. Don't you fear God even when you've been sentenced to die? We deserve to die for our crimes, but this man hasn't done anything wrong. Then he said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. Now, yes, I think he obviously wanted Jesus to be mindful of him. Don't don't forget me. Be mindful of me. But I think there's a depth to his request. He's broken. He knows what kind of life he's lived. He knows what he's deserving. He knows the decisions that he's making, and he's bearing the full weight of the punishment right now. But For whatever reason, grace has given him one last chance. He could have died any other day on any other hill beside any other criminal. But on this day, in the sovereignty of God, he was crucified next to the Son of God. And he recognized that. And he said, remember me when you come into your kingdom. Not just be mindful of me, but put me back together. All the things I've done up to this dying moment that I've wasted, the people I've hurt, the harm I've caused, the life that I've wasted, the broken pieces of my shattered life. Will you remember me? Will you put me back together again? And I believe the criminal's prayer that day is probably a fitting prayer for a whole lot of us this morning. Put my family back together. Put my marriage back together. Put my relationship with my kids back together. Put my broken physical body, my life controlled by sin, put it, put it back together. Perfection is not a requirement, but repentance is. But whatever would separate you and the cup today so that you don't do it in a way that brings reproach on yourself and dishonors God, whatever stands between you and him, you know what it is, name it. Ask him to cover it with his grace. And then come to the table, not because you're worthy, but because you're covered and forgiven. And the only way you can be covered and forgiven is to come off the high horse of pride. Acknowledge, I'm living in a way that dishonors God. Forgive me. I don't want to do this on my own anymore. I surrender to you, Jesus. If you're here today and you're not a follower of Jesus Christ, maybe you didn't get these when you came in. When they make their way up and down the aisles in just a moment for people that may have missed this, take it. If you're ready to step across the line of faith, you're ready to surrender your life to Jesus, there is no more powerful moment than surrendering your life to Jesus and the first act as a fully devoted follower of Jesus Christ to be taking the body and the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. I'm going to ask the team that's designated to help me today just to make sure that nobody got missed. As they come up and down the aisles today, if you didn't get elements when you came in, just get their attention and let them get these to you. And I'm going to ask you just to sit in this moment for a moment. And I believe if the thief on the cross would have sung a song that day, this is what he would sing. I think it's a prayer of our own today. Listen to this. Put me back together Hold me close forever Remember me 
time I come to the table I'm reminded of the condition I was in when I first cried out to Jesus and there's a part of me sometimes that misses that kid that naive kid who stumbled into church drunk and met a grace he didn't deserve and if I don't keep striving in some way to reconnect with that kid I start thinking I've prayed enough prayers and I've studied enough theology. I've done enough good deeds that I'm owed what God gives me. But I'm as undeserving today as I was on that day. And my prayer today is that the Lord will take the chisel and the hammer and he'll chisel the stone away from our hearts. That he'll break up the fallow ground of our lives that we'll be renewed in our faith and come back to our first love, rediscover the joy of our salvation. That those of us that haven't wept in his presence in a long time would find ourselves with salty tears streaming down our face just because we sense the presence of the living God. I pray today that He shows us his glory and you feel his presence. So Lord, as we come to take the bread, I pray today. I read in the scripture, Lord, where you took one piece of bread, broke it into fragments and you handed it to the church that was present that day. I pray today as we members of a body in this room, not voting members, but parts of your body that have gathered into this room today. We, we're fragmented for a whole lot of reasons. But will you let something supernatural happen in this moment? Regardless if we live every day on food stamps or we're a multimillionaire or we're black, brown, white, whatever. Let all of those things from our political arguments to our theological arrogance. Will you let all of that stuff fall by the wayside in this moment? Will you help us become family? Because Jesus is Lord. And when I take this bread, I'm saying I'm with them. I'm a part of that family. Those that have gone before me and those that will come after me who profess and practice belief in Jesus Christ. Reunite us as a body. As we take the bread, Lord, would you fuse and graft into us your divine nature. 
You became sin that we might become, not just appear, to be, not just wear a facade of, but become the righteousness of God. Remember us with your divine nature. And God, will you put us together again? Physically, as we take your body, your broken body, would you let people in this room be whole physically, whole mentally, whole emotionally, whole spiritually. Let wholeness come because of your brokenness. Let all that is available to us through the broken body of Jesus be ours today. In Jesus' name, Lord, would you bless the bread to your church. Amen. Would you take the bread together today? Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Father. Let wholeness come supernaturally. Remember us. And Lord, we thank you for the cup today. I look forward with anticipation for the future grace when I won't hold a plastic cup. I'm going to be looking around in awe because I see Daniel on one side of the table and Jeremiah down the row and Abraham over here somewhere behind me. Sunday school teachers that taught me growing up and pastors that led me and professors that instructed me Families I've invested my own life in. I'll be surrounded by the love of the Lord and the land of the living. And my mind goes to that moment as I hold this cup in my hand when you will preside over that moment. I look forward with this incredible hope. And today I look back with deep, deep gratitude. Today our nation pauses to to thank those and honor those who've spilled their blood for our freedoms. And today, Lord, before we take this cup, we honor you. God, our hearts are full of gratitude. You You didn't do this because you were forced to. You didn't shed your blood because you had to. You willingly chose, the scripture says, to take on the form of a servant and be obedient to death, the death of the cross. And today, Lord, I honor you. I worship you. I want to thank you, Lord, for giving me a chance to possess the nature of God. Lord, would you search our hearts? Look within. And we we bring them to you, repentant and broken. Cover us. Forgive us. Renew us. Jesus, we sang it a moment ago, there is truly wonder-working power in the blood of the Lamb. And as we put this cup to our lips and symbolically take of the shed blood of Jesus Christ, would you let every shackle and every chain, every piece of bondage that holds the lives of people in this room fall to the ground in freedom because there is power in the blood of Jesus Christ. Would you free us? As we sang, Lord, would you... Let chains fall and fear bow and hope be found as you reveal your glory in this place. There is power in your blood. Bless the cup to your church and may everything that is available to us through the shed blood of Jesus Christ be ours today. In Jesus' name.
Would you take the cup?